All right, open with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 29 through 49. We are in the third part of our series on the resurrection. And today's title is You, version 2.0. You, version 2.0. The Corinthian church, as we have seen, was messed up and confused. Paul has been addressing several issues, and he is finally on his last order of business, talking about the resurrection of the dead. He has established that the resurrection of Christ is the foundation of the gospel and of our faith. He's also correcting the belief that many of them had that there was no bodily resurrection after you died. And the Corinthian church was compromised in their belief by allowing pagan thought to infiltrate uh, their way of thinking. Now, Paul has shown how the resurrection was proven by the scriptures and by eyewitness accounts and by his own experience. And he has also shown that the resurrect, what the resurrection proves. It, the resurrection proves that the truth is stronger than the lie, that good is stronger than evil, and that love is stronger than hate, and that life is stronger than death. Hallelujah. Now, Christ is the first fruits of our resurrection. What Jesus did was he fulfilled the Jewish celebrations of Passover and the festival of first fruits. Jesus was writ risen from the dead on the first day of the week. The, celebra the celebration of Passover occurred on Friday, then Saturday the Sabbath, and then on the first day of the week, the celebration, the feast of first fruits, was commemorated and Jesus rose on the first day of the week. He was the perfect Passover lamb. Now, the first fruits offering was a bloodless grain offering. And Jesus perfectly illustrates this because Jesus' death ended the need for animal sacrifice. No longer his death covered and atoned for sin once and for all, and his resurrection ensures our resurrection. Now, in another way, he is the first fruits, because in the ancient world and in Greek culture, the, the Greek word for first fruit represented an entry fee into the prominent places. You had to have a first fruit in order to gain access to, to influential places and prominent places. And we know that Jesus Christ, as the first fruits, is our entry fee into heaven. Hallelujah. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And because Christ has been raised, we also will be raised. Christ is going to reclaim and redeem this fallen world. He's going to defeat the forces of evil and all the armies of Satan and hand the conquered kingdom back over to God the Father so that God may be all in all. That is some good news. Now, in this next section, Paul's going to get into some specifics about the resurrection body and what it will look like and when it will take place. The good news for all of us is that when we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, God ensures us that we are going to get an upgrade. Come on, somebody. Now, these bodies came from the earth and were designed to house the soul and the spirit on this earth. When you die, they return to the earth. We are composed of various minerals, vitamins, and elements. The same minerals, vitamins, and elements that are found in the dirt of the earth. In other words, you ain't nothing but dirt. And to continue living on this earth, you need a continuous supply of those same vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. The Bible says that God formed Adam out of the dust 
of the earth. Now this body is earthly, but the next one will be heavenly. And that's some good news. This body is going to wear out and it is wearing out. But take heart because God's got an upgrade for you. There will be a you version 2.0. Everything that bags and sags and drags on this body is going to be gloriously recreated and upgraded. You're going to be ripped and tight and strong. But most importantly, you will be continuously united with the Spirit of God. That's some of the best news some of y'all have heard in a long time. Now let's read our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 29 through 19 together. Paul says this, otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? That's What the heck is he talking about now? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? And why are we in danger every hour? I affirm by the pride in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. If I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hope, what good did that do me? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. The New King James says there in verse 34, Awake unto righteousness and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. Verse 35, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And what kind of body will... They have when they come. Oh, foolish one, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the future body. You're only sowing a seed, perhaps of wheat or another kind of grain. But God gives it a body as he wants. And to each of the seeds, its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is the splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. For one star differs from another in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised and incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural then comes the spiritual. The first man was from the earth and made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man made out of dust, so are those who are made out of dust. And like the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man made of dust, so we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God for his word. Now, I want to sum up verses 29 through 34 in one point, and that point is this. You need to wake up. You need to wake up. Now remember, Paul's primary concern is correcting the Corinthians. They were so worried, some of them were so worried about their loved ones who had passed away, that some of them were being baptized for them to try to ensure 
their salvation. Another interpretation of this is that they were trying to be baptized at their grave sites in their honor, literally being baptized over their their graves or over the dead. Either way, we have to understand that Paul is not condoning this practice, and this practice should not be continued in the church. It's not recorded anywhere else in the New Testament. Jesus didn't teach on it. It's not modeled in the book of Acts. But what Paul is doing is he's simply continuing the logical argument for the resurrection. He's trying to show these Corinthians that their so-called belief does not line up with their behavior. If there isn't a resurrection, then why do you have this superstitious practice? If the dead are not raised, then why are people being baptized for them? Again, they had their pagan roots interfering with their spiritual growth and their spiritual thought process. Paul goes on to argue further. He's like, look, why do I put my life on the line day after day if there isn't a resurrection? I'm risking my life. I'm fighting with with savage beasts from Ephesus. That's a metaphor for the savage men who were seeking his life. Paul faced savage opposition to the gospel in Ephesus and Galatia and everywhere he went. Paul was constantly being hunted down. People were trying to take his life. He had to be lowered down out of windows in baskets to escape persecution. And he said, literally, I, I die daily. Paul's saying, I give all my energy and all of my effort for the sake of the gospel. Why did he do it? Because he lived for eternity. Because he lived for a world that was beyond this one. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Are you giving your effort and energy for eternity? Or are you wasting it on this earth? If there's no resurrection, well then, he says, we all might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 22 and quoting the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's referencing that that party life. Oh, so many live it. So many Christians and so many people, they live harder for the weekend than they do for heaven. And it's a sad truth. If if the only thing you're living for is the pleasure of this world, I I want you to hear me this morning. Friend, you're living for the wrong thing. If the only thing you're living for is for the riches and the glamour of this life, then you are living an empty existence. We need to live for eternity. If all you're living for is today, then you're wasting your life. I love what John Wesley used to pray. He would pray, Lord, paint eternity on my eyeballs. If you will live for eternity, I guarantee you, you will maximize the moment. You won't waste today and you'll have hope for tomorrow. And the reason the Corinthian church is living with this compromise is because they were deceived They were living a lie. Can anybody relate? You see, anytime you see somebody bragging and boasting about that party life, uh, what a waste, man. What a pointless, empty existence. Storing up treasure on earth, living for your job, career, position, or possessions. Do you know what the richest man who ever lived on this earth said? This is a guy who had more money, more wealth, the the nicest palace on the planet, and he had over a thousand women. He had three women for every day of the year. You know what he said? Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's what King Solomon wrote. He wrote a whole book about it. The book of Ecclesiastes. You want to know the outcome of somebody who lives their life for the pleasure of this world, go read Ecclesiastes. Paul's saying, wake up. Come to your senses. Awaken to righteousness and stop 
sinning. See, the Corinthians, they had the wrong friends. That was the second reason why they were as confused as they were. They were deceived and they had the wrong friends. Paul reminds them that bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. The reason why many of us stay in the lie is because we've surrounded ourselves with other liars. We've got other people believing and toting the same hype that we're believing and toting. We're confused. They're confused. Uh, you know, my dad used to say this, show me, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You will become like whoever you hang around. The Corinthians were being corrupted by their current company. And we like to surround ourselves with people who will help us stay on the path to least resistance. Paul says, no, wake up and know God. It's a shame that you don't have this knowledge of God. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Come to your senses. Get real, man. Some of us started to wake up a little bit when COVID-19 first hit. And you know what? You're already going back to sleep. Man, what's it going to take to get us to wake up to the reality that this life isn't forever? This life isn't promised. We need to live for eternity. We, we shouldn't take that fact that, that yo, tomorrow isn't promised and then use it to live foolishly today. No, we should take that fact that nobody's promised tomorrow and we should live for eternity. Respond to God and repent now. Come on, somebody. If you take away the truth of the life to come, you have to realize that this life immediately loses its value. If you take away the truth of the life to come, this life loses its value. William Barclay said this, the fact remains that those who believe that this is the only world tend to live as if the things of this world are the only things that matter. I'll say that again. Those who believe that this is the only world tend to live as if the things of this world are the only things that matter. Well, friend, I'm here to tell you that this is not all there is. We will all face eternity forever. Wake up, get around the saints of God, and let's live for him together. Now, in verses 35 through 49, Paul's going to explain some details about the resurrection body. What will the glorified body look like? When will we get it? And before we answer any of those questions, I want let's talk a minute about the, the earthly body. Understand that your body is the vehicle for your soul and spirit. Now, the truth is, some of us are riding around in a Lexus, and others are riding around in a beat-up Pinto. Some of us are in a, a Mini Cooper, and others are in a double-decker bus. But regardless of the appearance or the condition, your body is the ride for your soul spirit. Uh, you remember that old schoolhouse rock song, The Body Machine. I'm a machine, you're a machine. Everybody that you know, they are machines. And it's a great way to look at it. Your body is the camper for your soul and spirit. It's a temporary home and a temporary host. You have to realize that you as an individual are a trinity. Your body, soul, and spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit. Now, I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said this, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. You are a soul. Your emotions, your intellect, your thought process, your will, that makes up who you are. Your body gives your, your, an expression. And we also are spiritual beings because we were created by God who is spirit. And that's what your body is. It's the host. It's the home. Uh, on planet Earth, your soul, spirit, need a home and a means of expression. And that's what your body is. Now, Paul shows them in verses 36 through 38. 
he shows them the life-death principle. And he shows them that the life-death principle is already at work in creation. The example is of planting seeds. It goes into the ground and dies and breaks open and comes back up a beautiful flower or a crop of wheat. And I love the example of peonies. My wife loves peonies. Now, if you have never seen a peony go from bulb to bloom, just imagine that someone coming up to you with, with these little dirty bulbs in one hand and this beautiful bouquet of peonies in the other. And if you've never seen it go from bulb to bloom, you, you wouldn't believe that they were the same thing. You would probably look at it and say, that dirty little bulb, there's no way it's going to turn into those beautiful flowers. Well, Paul's saying, look, it's the same way with the natural and the heavenly body. You look at our earthly bodies now, and you're like, there ain't no way that's going to be good for eternity. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't even good right now. See, there's no way. But what Paul is saying is it's going to go through the process. There's the process from death to life. The body, this body, is a seed for the heavenly body. And there's some debate about when it will take place. But I, I believe that at the rapture, God is going to take this seed, this earthly body, in whatever form it's in. It does not matter whether you were buried or cremated or lost at sea or eaten by a wild animal or any other way that the earthly body can be destroyed. It doesn't matter. Wherever the remains are and whatever state that they are in, God's going to transform it into a beautiful, glorious, heavenly body. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Now, in verses 39 through 41, Paul points out that there's a variety of body types. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, small or tall, slim or trim, fat or, or skinny. I'm not talking about those types of body types. I'm talking about different body types that are adapted to live in different environments and habitats. All of these bodies are incredible and they are all unique. Some survive on land, some survive in the air, some survive in sea, and some survive in space. And there's so much diversity and creativity that's displayed by them all. And the most important thing is that they all declare the glory of God in unique ways. See, Paul's just trying to show them that this concept of the natural and the spiritual body, the concept of the resurrection is already seen all around them. Like, why can't you get this? I mean, look at the changing of seasons from summer to fall to winter to spring. What do you see every year? You see the cycle of resurrection. And in verses 43 through 49, Paul really drives it home that the the first body this earthly body is patterned after adam but the second is going to be patterned after christ remember christ is the second adam the perfect human that came god in human form and that lived the perfect life died the perfect death and was risen from the grave to destroy death once and for all our earthly bodies Paul says, are perishable, they're dishonorable, and they are weak, all due to sin. Our glorified bodies will be imperishable, honorable, and powerful. Our new bodies will no longer be natural bodies, but spiritual bodies. They'll no longer be focused on the natural senses, but they'll be at one with the Holy Spirit. Our heavenly bodies, they will no longer suffer from sickness and death, nor will they ever be subject to heat or cold or hunger or thirst. Our new bodies will be honorable in that they will never be shamed or shameful because of sin. Praise God. Now, 
Our earthly bodies are subject to the natural laws of gravity and time and space, and they're subject to temptation. But our heavenly bodies are constantly empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are no longer weak or decaying. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. They are full of God's glory and power. They are fully displaying the likeness of Jesus. Remember, the resurrected Christ is the foundation of all the new creation. The day is coming on this day Paul's talking about when, when, when the new body is risen. When the natural and the supernatural will be one, they'll no longer be separated by sin and death. You will resemble yourself. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the disciples recognized him. They saw the nail marks in his hands and in his feet. He was able to eat and they were able to touch him. He was also able to pass through walls. He was able to appear and disappear. Man, you're going, listen, you will resemble yourself, but you will be the best you that there has ever been. Remember that you were designed to be extraterrestrial. And one day, this body is going to be sown in the ground. It's going to be sown in dishonor, but it's going to be raised in honor. Hallelujah. The conclusion to this whole teaching is this. The good news for us is that our best days are ahead. He says in verse 49, Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, so will we bear the image of the heavenly. Praise God. People say that after you know loved ones die, they, they say that they become angels. Friends, the good news is actually better than that. The good news is actually better than that. You ain't going to be no angel. You're going to be an, you're going to be a replica, an imprint reflecting the image of Jesus Christ himself. In his image, in his glory, empowered by his spirit, and God will be all in all. We will be one with him. He will be one for us. We will be his people, and he will be our God. Man, that's some good news. So in light of this eternal change, I think it's necessary to make some changes in the here and now. In light of this earthly transformation, I think it, in, in light of this eternal transformation, I think we need to make some earthly changes today. First of all, don't be deceived, man. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fool yourself. Wake up. This life is short and temporary. This life is, is short, but what you do during this life what you do here has eternal consequences. Don't do anything today that you wouldn't be proud of forever. The problem that we have today isn't that the world is sinful. It's that the church is asleep. It's time to wake up and live for heaven and not for this world. We need to grow in our knowledge of God. Man, you got to take action on every word of scripture you read. Change how you live. Look at your surroundings, man. Who are your friends? Remember, you'll be who... Ever you hang around, you'll be like whoever you hang around and show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Some of us today need to change some relationships. We need to surround ourselves both physically and virtually with people who are serving Jesus. I'm not, I'm not just talking about your, your physical friends. I'm talking about your media feeds. Man, who are you following? Who's on your Snapchat? Man, what videos are you watching on YouTube or Twitch? Man, who are you looking at on Twitter and Facebook and, and Instagram? And who are you following? Do they love Jesus? We need to be able to say like Paul, I die daily. We need to choose Christ over self 
every single day. Why? Because you have a glorious metamorphosis coming. I want to close with, with this story as, as the worship team comes. A bright young girl, about 15 years old, her whole life was suddenly cast upon a bed of suffering. She suffered a tragic accident and she was completely paralyzed on one side and nearly blind. As she's laying in the hospital bed, she heard the family doctor saying to her parents as they were standing off on the bedside, the doctor said this, she has seen her best days, poor child. And the young girl was a Christian. She spoke up and she said, no doctor, my best days are yet to come when I see the king in his beauty. That's our hope. We shall not sink into annihilation. Christ rose from the dead to give us a pledge of our own rising. And the resurrection is the great antidote for the fear of death. Nothing else can take its place. Not riches, not genius, not worldly pleasures or pursuits. None of that can give you consolation in your dying hour. Only the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if we are believing in him because he rose, we will rise also. All this morning, take hope in the future resurrection. The life of our Lord is marked by the virgin's womb and by the empty tomb. The life of Jesus is marked at the beginning and at the end by two impossible events. The beginning with the virgin's womb and the end with the empty tomb. In other words, Jesus came into this world through a door that was marked no entrance, and he went out of this world through a door that was marked no exit. That means that he can enter your life even when you are in impossible circumstances. And it also means that he can save your life even when you're in an impossible place. Let him have control today. Call on him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and call on Jesus. And if you have already done that, please seek to give him absolute and total daily control of your life. And as we sing this song one more time, it is well. I want you to reflect on it. Is it well with you today? Have you repented of your sins? And are you following Jesus Christ as Lord? If you don't have that peace if the, if the fear of death is something that you struggle with, if you're not sure of what will happen to you after you die, it's not about being a good person. It's not about trying to do good things in life. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Then the good will follow. Please take consideration. Take inventory today and put your trust in Christ.